Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Laity Podcast, Episode Three. This is Andrew. I'm here with Stephen, and uh, so good, to, glad to have you on board. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe on iTunes uh, as well uh, and the podcast app. Uh, as well as on uh, Podbean, I guess either or, maybe both would be a bit redundant. But good to have you on, Stephen. How you doing on this on this rainy Sunday? I'm doing good, man. The kids are down for a nap, and all is quiet. It's a short-lived uh, piece, but <laughs> I know I'm waiting for my two-year-old to a uh, almost three-year-old to run out here. But uh, Stephen, I'm excited about the conversation today. I'm I'm looking forward to some of the content we're going to dive into, uh, which we'll we'll cliffhanger right here. But you know, we've had a couple of conversations with folks kind of organically over the last couple of weeks, and you and I were talking briefly about someone um, within your church community. I think that had that had initiated a conversation with you. Part of what we talked about in the in this podcast from the beginning. Uh, in terms of the why and where it came from was a lot of these conversations that were already happening in our communities of faith, um, people in all different stages of deconstruction or reconstruction, reaction, um, uncertainty, mystery, doubt, uh, or maybe some sort of mix of those things. And um, you just recently, ha- and Stephen, I feel like you, you guys, you and Elise both, your wife, are, are regularly having people like in your home to have these conversations. T- t- sh- t- give people insight a little bit maybe into into what I'm referring to and what you told me briefly, just some recent conversations you've had. Yeah, um, we've, uh, I guess we've, to, to some degree, I guess we kind of consider that like a, a function of sort of like our family ministry, wanting to create a place for people who are, you know, in difficult places in their faith or in crises in their faith. I mean, you know, deconstruction kind of things and wanting to um, have an environment where we can have those conversations and safely and to whatever extent we can help and point them to some helpful resources along the way or just give them a place to be and, and, and you know, build friendships. So um, uh, what we did recently have, we've had a couple of conversations recently that were pretty interesting. Um, I think, uh, we had one that reminded me a lot of sort of some of the things that I had, uh, the experiences that I had, uh, when I was sort of struggling with some of my faith, um, not to speak as if that was a past tense thing. I feel like it's always a, you know, it's an ongoing you know, journey, right? Yeah. It's an ongoing journey. Exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we had a, we had a young person over here not too long ago and they were, uh, just expressing, gosh, we, we asked them how they're doing and you can kind of sense like a certain weight, like a heaviness to, yeah uh, you know, to, to people when they're, when they're feeling a lot. And, uh, we could tell there's just a lot of stuff that was being felt. And, and the person went on and told a little bit about, you know, where they're at and what's going on. And they, they actually had approached us and wanted to talk about some things. So when we opened up the floor and gave them a, a chance to, to talk about what's on their mind, um, we noticed that there was just a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like, um, a lot of qualifying, you know, it was like, well, I mean, I, I guess I've kind of felt this, but I don't really, you know, I, I don't know what I think about God, but whatever. I mean, I don't, I mean, I know what I think about God, you know, like, I mean, not, it was like every, every, every statement had to be kind of padded, right. Uh, you know, with some, with some kind of a protective statement. And, um, we, uh, I, I think at one point, I mean, what, what, what became apparent was just the person was just having a hard time being where they are. And I think that's a really common experience is that when people right. are, are in that, it's like, it's so you, this person expressed it. I just feel like I don't, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be in this place. Like there's this a resistance. There's a bit yeah. of a resistance to being there. Well, cause generally, yeah, it's like that, that, that's not how things are supposed to be. I mean, it, it's easy to feel like that. Um, and, uh, so we, that, that was sort of, the, that was where the conversation turned. We, we explored a lot of that and just trying to, accept where things are and then and go from there. Yeah, there's there's a challenge with uh sometimes it's hard even just to be able to see and and accept where you are. I know I I totally can relate to the <clears throat> call it hedging or almost needing to pad you want to open up to someone. It, it's not even like that that you know, I don't trust you or I can't tell yeah. you what I'm really thinking and feeling. It's actually an uncomfortability, I think, an uncomfortability with what's inside of yourself. It's like um, you know, I trying to, you know, I feel like I don't really read the Bible the way I used to, but like, don't get me wrong. I definitely still think it's the word of God or, you know, you know, I don't know how I feel about this church. You're like, don't get me wrong. I still think we need to go to church every Sunday and I know I need to be there, but it's almost like they want to take two steps forward, but then feel like there, there needs to be a sort of 
called a step back or just like, guys, let me clarify. I don't mean this. Um, yeah. Almost like approaching a sort of cliff that, you know, like, you know, you're coming to the edge of it and you don't really know what's on the other side, but like you're doing what you can to keep yourself tethered to, 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 you know, to, to, yeah. to whatever's behind you so you don't fall off, yeah. which I think is, a, you know, makes sense, right? Like we can only handle so much. I think right, about it's, not, also, bad, it's not a bad thing. In fact, I, I think about what you just mentioned too, like when you tar- started to say that you had a conversation with someone similar to something you've gone through in the past, but you're still on this journey. I think there, is, there are very distinct times and maybe this person's not, this person may or may not be there, but there, there are these distinct moments in our past or in our, in life like we can point to. I know for me, like I, I feel like I'm on this journey and I have been for 10 plus years. But yeah. I can also say, hey, I remember in 2005, this mm-hmm. summer, this happened and yeah, it like shattered everything. Fell, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think that's a good thing. I think that's a real and powerful thing. But do you think, I we talked about this briefly, Um when we talk about, unless there's something you were going to say more on, on the conversation, maybe this could kind of lead us a bit. Um, as this person was sort of unpacking some things with you, um, or as you've been having conversations with people that maybe are approaching, like you almost know because of the journey you on, you know that you've been on, you know, they're approaching certain things. Like they're going to start asking questions about the authority of scripture. They're going to start asking questions about uh, heaven and hell and what happens when we die. They're going to start asking questions about church and, you know, doctrine and different things. It's going to unravel a bit. Um, Do you think there are certain places theologically or in terms of subject matter that people just should not go? Like, do you think there are, you know, call it, you know, sections of, you know, the restricted section of the library, (laughs) right? With like books you shouldn't be taking off the shelf or back alleyways in a city that you just should not walk down, all proverbially speaking, um, in terms of the spiritual life. Do you think there should be off limits places and subjects? Gosh, it's a good question. Um, I mean, both for you personally and I'm curious for more of a leadership and mentoring perspective? Like, are there places yeah. you would not suggest others go if they come to you and say, Hey, I'm having these questions. Um, how do you, th- how do you think about that even in terms of p- personally and then how you recommend it for others? Yeah. So personally, I, I mean, I would say n- no, I, I would leave all options on the table. Um, and the reason why is because I think, especially if you don't, I mean, I got remember times in my, when, when I, journey where I was, re- I had a lot of anxiety about like reading things from atheists. Cause I thought I was legitimately concerned about like, you know, getting uh, like some kind of a skeleton getting exposed in my closet or like an argument. Or you their know. arguments are just so good. Yeah. Like, they like might, the, yeah. right. That, that I would just be, I would just be, you know, completely undone. Um, and so, you know, I, it, it like surrounding all those types of thinkers and every time I'd be like in a biology class in college or something, I, I, there was like this looming, almost sort of like a haunting sense of like, oh man, you know, I, I don't want to, mm. yeah. don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole or I could right. be convinced. Yeah. Or like, I mean, I think about, you know, I had some experiences like that in a philosophy class in college, you know, where of course we're essentially debating the existence of God. And, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I remember just, just feeling really uncomfortable and this isn't anything that like my church it wasn't anybody's fault that like I felt this way. It was more just in my own head. I just was, I, you know, the faith was a lot of what held me together. And so like my faith and religion was sort of an integrating thing. And so to, to be confronted with things that were, that would potentially disintegrate that was pretty unnerving. Wow. Um, but I think if you, if you, if you don't, if you don't go down that, then, or if you don't at least leave, leave the door open, then what ends up happening is like, it becomes like this sort of forbidden like it, it becomes sort of like this secret, like this, um, there's a prohibition almost. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like it, it, it takes on this like weight that it really doesn't have in reality. Like right. it has, you know, like the fact that it's prohibited, the fact that you can't go there, like don't go behind that door is what makes that door so powerful. The desire. Oh, that's yeah. a whole Peter Rollins thing so, too, man. I could talk so, all about that. No, yeah, so, the la- yeah, the, the prohibition can often kind of inflame, if you will, yeah. this thing within us. And so, it's almost like you have you don't have to, but to, but to go there, to 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 go behind the door that says "Do not enter." As much as it can be scary, you know, we talked about this too. Um, you know, what's scary is going through that path alone and isolated. 
Yeah. Not so much going in the wrong door. Right. Right. Like, so I almost feel like in our relationship, for example, and we've been having these conversations for literally years. Um, if I was to go down a particular rabbit hole, um, that you might feel like, wow, like you're going off the reservation here. It's one thing for me to engage with you as I'm walking that journey and then maintain core relationships and have the dialogue with my spouse, other, like bring others involved, you know, with my journey versus, um, you know, just being a total lone wolf doing your own thing. And, and cause that can not only, you know, quote unquote lead you astray, but you can, it, it can be, um, it just can be extremely lonely and that then is disheartening. Yeah. And then it's like this journey is a, it's a, it's a drudging d- dark time. And I think yeah. there are these, you know, as John of the cross talks about like these dark nights of the soul, I think there are those, like we're going through challenge trying to figure this stuff out, but we don't have to have that in isolation. Mm-hmm. And hopefully what this, the laity podcasting can help to, to, uh, you know, invigorate in others is an opportunity to engage in the conversation in a community. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, when people, it, it often feels sort of heavy, like people don't want to burden somebody else with their, with their stuff, with their questions. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you don't, if you don't have the connection, I mean, really it's the connection that's dangerous, not the ideas. The ideas aren't dangerous. I mean, you yeah. know, yeah, there's, there's things that I don't think are true. There's writers that I don't think are really helpful. And certainly, you know, if you're in like a deep, dark depression, you know, exploring just, you know, the utter meaningless of meaninglessness of life may not be yeah, like know, an the existentialism. Yeah. Exploration. Right. Right. Uh, right. But that doesn't mean that those things have to be off limits. I mean, it just means that, you know, there's, there's all, all doors are open. And especially now we're like, even if you wanted to say like, Hey, you can't go here. Right. I mean, people are going to go there. So what, what better place than a faith community, yes. a faith community to, to, to have those types of things. It's like, honestly, it's kind of like the sex talk with your kids. Right. Yes. Like, Right. Like if I, I could just never say the word penis or something to my, to my kids. Right. Uh, and then let them hear about it on the bus to school or we can, you know, I can kind of introduce them to this whole world and, and walk them through it and, and provide the context where everything is on the table. You can ask any question you want, you know, we'll have all the, we'll have all the conversation we need to, um, you know, let me be this, your, your source of information. Yes. Please don't Google it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like Google. Yeah, exactly. No, that's a, that, that's a really great point. And a place like the church, and this goes into the critique conversation and, and many other things. I think if the church can be a place where, you know, for me personally, I always felt a sense, again, this wasn't coming from up on high or a certain leader telling me it was just an internal thought of, you know, if I feel like I'm, I am on a journey or a path that isn't necessarily where everyone else is walking, or, or maybe I'm thinking some things that seem counter contradictory or maybe counter to the, to what I'll call it the status quo, just meaning what's, what's the norm is in our, in our community. There was always for me a sense of like, it's okay to wander for a time or to it within a certain Mm -hmm. radius, but you need to quickly come back. Um, it was this idea of like, okay, if you're going to wrestle with something, um, I'd say the language I would use is, you know, I'm studying this out, but you know, often within like a week I'm back. I'm like, okay, good. Like I I figured it. And I, I've now solved this issue or I've read these two books that someone recommended me and now I'm back. Um, the reality is like, it's not, these things take time and they also take experience and relationship to segue Mm -hmm. us a little bit. You know, it makes me think, I think part of the fear that I have felt over the years and not so much recently, but that has the challenge for me, you know, if my thinking has been, you know, when when my thinking has been, well, if I leave this camp, and when I say this camp, I I, I don't mean a congregate a particular congregation, although it could be that. When I leave this certain camp of theological framework of language, what we say and what we don't say, the way we think about God, or under you know theology, this camp, if I leave that, then I might be out of the circle of of God and or even or salvation or the church, meaning I might be crossing a barrier or going on the other side of a fence, and and to me that lended itself to very stark in and out thinking. It was as long if I subscribe to the following or if I fit into here, then at least I know I'm still within the framework yeah. of again the church, salvation, good life and doctrine, whatever. 
And if I'm outside of that or if I'm questioning these things or if I'm not certain or if I don't, if I don't have if I'm not crystal clear on where I stand on every subject, then maybe I'm outside the camp. And that makes me think about, about this idea of dualism or this idea of, uh, and there's something we wanted to explore of kind of this black, you know, black and white or binary or, or dual thinking versus having, you know, living a, a, a life without dual thinking or not, you know, moving towards a non-dual way of thinking about, about religion and that just happens to be a perfect segue <laughs> into, into uh, Richard Rohr, who we wanted to talk about today. Um, awesome. So, so to, to intro everybody to Richard Rohr, for those of us who are, who are unfamiliar, um, Richard Rohr is a author, an author, speaker. Um, he is the founder and, uh, of the Center for Action and Contemplation, which is a retreat center and just general resource uh center in, uh, I believe Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, uh, Richard is by training a friend, uh, Catholic Franciscan priest and was trained in, in the priesthood, uh, in the, in the order of, uh, Francis of Assisi. And, uh, he's a profound thinker who has been super influential, um, in my life. And I think Stephen in your life, but also, across the spectrum religiously and and irreligiously which I so respect he's someone that like I've seen him on Oprah not because I watch Oprah during the day but YouTube yeah. clips uh it's well, you more know late Oprah's at not, night right yeah yeah it's actually <laughs> late at night after the kids go to bed no wait Oprah's not even on it anymore she has her other stuff no but she, meaning she, he he's kind of he can kind of be your mainstream guy he's also talked like to very specific Catholic communities, Protestant communities. There's a lot of like evangelical Protestant communities, pastors, churches, post-church people that really relate to to a lot of what he says. Richard talks a lot about um, yeah. contemplation, prayer, um, personal spirituality, transformation, the church, and more. Stephen, how did you get first get introduced to Richard? What, what was your connection and what, what kind of works of, of his have you dive into in the past? Um. I think I was introduced to some of his ideas on, on non-dual thinking, uh, in a podcast. It was, I think I mentioned this before on the, on, on our podcast, but Luke Norsworthy has a podcast called Newsworthy with Norsworthy. It's a, it's a Christian podcast. It's actually like a church of Christ guy out in, uh, Abilene, Texas. Yeah. All, he's actually, he's um, in Austin now, I think actually. No, Austin. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I heard an interview on there and it was funny because the stuff I heard, I mean, I immediately kind of collapsed into like super, like dual thinking when I heard the interview. Cause I'm like, okay, this isn't, this is like, I had to immediately label it as like, this is new agey, weird spirituality stuff. Got it. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I was like immediately up in arms. But then later on I went back and I listened to some more of his stuff. I've, I've got a book of his um, called falling upward and it's sort of his, uh, he calls it a, a theology for the two halves of life. Um, he, the way he thinks about the two halves of life aren't actually chronological at all. He says, most people die in the first half. It's more, it's more spiritual. And, and, uh, I, I really like his framework there. Um, yeah, I'm listening to a book right now, actually from his, uh, um, from him as well called true self, false self. So I've, I've enjoyed it. It's been good. I think, uh, um, I think you're probably, you probably read more of his stuff and more familiar with it. Yeah. What about Jen, you? I, I don't know if it's necessarily more, but I've certainly read a couple of, uh, a couple of his books. I started with, um, the Naked Now, which is what I would recommend to our listeners. I'd recommend any of his stuff, but this book, The Naked Now, was written in 2008. Um, it is probably, I actually have it in front of you, just curious from a, it's very readable, although dense, um, probably about 170 pages or so. And uh, he covers a lot of things, including non-dual thinking, which we're going to get into right now. But I've also written uh, read his book, Eager to Love, uh, which I, I really, really liked. Um, it, the subtitle of that is the alternative way of, of Francis of Assisi, but talks a lot about just, just how to live in, in love and how to walk in the path of, of Jesus. Um, Richard's fantastic. He also has a ton of stuff on YouTube and all over the internet. So we'll, we'll be sure to, to link some things, but to, to dive into non-dual thinking. So, and how this plays a part, just to define it, <clears throat> what Richard would say is to, to understand what, what dualistic versus non-dual uh, or by, or your, or you'll hear as binary or, or polar kind of plurality thinking this idea that anytime we are, a, we approach a new idea or a, a new relationship or an object or a, anything that is foreign to us, meaning relatively, relatively new, 
our mind uh, is so quick to label and to judge um, that experience, that person, that idea. And so we immediately, if we're not careful, subconsciously immediately divide this experience or this person or this object into two categories, essentially the familiar and the unfamiliar. So our mind immediately gravitates towards what in this, per- well, let's use the example of a person. What in this, uh, uh, what, what about this person or the idea that you have about this person is familiar and comfortable to you there, and, and what is not. And what the dualistic mind uh, will do is essentially immediately label the things that are, that are familiar to us as good, true, acceptable, uh, and we actually immediately, the mind will, will, will strap a moral judgment on those things immediately. And then the other side, those things that are unfamiliar or new to us tend to be labeled as negative or, th- or threatening and in kind of worst case as wrong. Um, and, and so the mind is constantly, th- you know, is a machine for judgment and labeling. And so every experience, it, when, you, when the dualistic mind uh, applies the judgment and applies a sort of blanket, a blanket judgment of, again, the familiar, unfamiliar, the good and the bad, you actually end up missing out on the object or the person or the experience itself. Mm-hmm. And instead, you are, you are distracted by or you're deterred by the label you've given it. And you can't, and the argument is you can't in that moment then actually experience that object person thing. Therefore, Richard's bottom line is you don't, you don't truly experience God. And so to to be more specific, you know, in, in, in Matthew chapter seven, verse one, Jesus tells his disciples, do not judge. It's just this blank, I mean, and it's a radical, and when he's saying, saying judge, I mean, he's not talking about don't apply, you know, negative judgments towards other people, um, like don't criticize other people's sins, or, uh, you know, don't, don't get upset, at, don't, don't assume the worst in people. He's saying, he, he's, Jesus is telling his disciples who you'd think would have a pretty good sense of right and wrong after spending three years with Jesus, not at that point, but ultimately by the time he's ascended, is uh, he's telling those people not to be preoccupied with judgment. What Richard would also say, and, and so we're on, we'll unpack why. What Richard would also say is that you see this, this non-dual, meaning non-binary judgmental thinking, um, all over the scriptures, and it's the very nature of God himself. So if you think about this idea of the incarnation, Right, we believe in, in mm. the Christian faith that, in fact, today at church, we this was the, our communion meditation. Um, we were talking about this idea of Jesus as fully man, yet fully God. And there have been, you know, how many, th- you know, theses and and books and how many conferences have been on this subject of the incarnation. And yet, like most Christians you meet, aren't splitting hairs, trying to get to the exact detail of how is Jesus possibly fully man and fully God? How does it work? Is it 50% of both? Is it a hundred percent of both? Like we, some people get hung up on that, but like in at the average churchgoer is not like scratching their head. We just go, no, he just is right. He's the son of God. Like he is fully man and fully God. We don't know exactly how it works, but that's the mystery of faith. That's the mystery of who God is. Richard would say that that is a perfect snapshot of non-dual thinking. That is a, a perfect example of how within the Christian tradition, this, this kind of sitting with this some tension, some mystery, and not labeling and needing to categorize um, is what ultimately frees us to experience the, tr- the full depth of reality of God. Does that make sense as a start? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, the... Another way to use some more language around this, right? So we the we can think of dualist, you know, dualism having two sides of a coin, right? Either it it it's good or it's bad, uh, it's black or it's white, and then to use the language, you know, kind of the segue that I set up here, you're either in or you're out. So mm-hmm. the the things that we experience, namely individuals um, within, you know, religious people, including ourselves, tend to start with a judgment when having conversations or, or meeting people for the first time there and whether or not it's explicit or in the front of our minds, it can be this implicit labeling of the other as, as in or out based on maybe they say the right things. Right. So, um, I mean, to be honest, I I think about in my, my tradition and my background, 
um, even a lot of the language I would use around. Um, so in other words, if I was to meet an individual and I'm, I'm not going to, I'm trying not to make a value judgment on this. This is actually just a really interesting observation for me now, kind of at 30,000 feet is in meeting another believer, right? So let's say I was to be introduced to someone who is, who is a believer. If that person to me, and, and let's say they were introduced to me by a friend of mine, if someone was to, uh, let's say, I, I, let's say I'm okay. It's me and a friend who goes to my church and they introduce me to someone new and, in my mind, I'm wondering, and maybe this is fair, is this person a Christian? Does this pe- person go to my church? Is this people person religious or not? And I'm, there are certain kind of key words and uh, actions that can immediately inform me of how connected am I to this person? Mm. Are they one of are they one of us? And this isn't even necessarily a bad or good thing, but are they one of us or are they are they different? Are they someone that that's not in our in my group? And a lot of the language around that, right, helped to inform it. So it could be, hi, this is Bill, um, and, you know, he he goes to my school and blah, blah, blah. Or it could be, hey, this is Bill, and he's a believer. Or it could be, hey, this is Bill, and uh, he's a disciple in this church um, over here. And for uh, me, the using of the language of he's a disciple um, versus even, like, he's a believer um, or, you know, he he goes to this church or down the street, What that language of this person's a disciple – in my tradition actually was an immediate cue of like, okay, so like we're on the same page, like, well, he's one of me. And so I could immediately kind of put my guard down and feel that we were, you know, we had this connected, this connectedness, but if he wasn't, I'm not saying this person's going to hell. I'm not saying I don't like the person, but immediately the way that I would interact with the person would, would be different. Um, I, I would think about that thing different, that person differently. And so that's an example of how, there are inherent labels and judgments in our own mind, whether or not they're they're met with moral judgments that at times, if we're not careful, can can inhibit us from really experiencing the real thing. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean, I, I can think of, you know, I mean, nobody taught me, you know, that. I mean, it was like, I mean, I, I remember even having like, you know, devotions and things that we'd explicitly teach against that, you know, really trying, we, we would reinforce a lot when I was like, uh, you know, this is, several years ago in campus ministry and stuff, the importance of trying to build friendships and whatnot, but just inevitably, I mean, you know, it, it just kind of in my own mind. Yeah. I would think something like that sometimes, like I'm trying to figure out when I meet somebody, you know, whether, whether what's happening now is, is fellowship or evangelism, you know, like Ooh, trying to, interesting. You know, trying to, trying to, trying to sort that out when you meet somebody new and it's not a, a bad thing to do, but I think, you know, like you said, when you're when when you're sitting there in front of an actual person, uh, whoever they are, and you are analyzing the entire situation, the whole interaction, trying to figure out, you know, where boundary lines lie and stuff. What you're not doing is experiencing that person, like you said. Uh, like you, you, you can't because like you're you haven't stepped into that role. The role you've stepped into is like a you're 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 trying to. I don't mean this in like a. I don't know, like a weird negative way, but you're, you're trying to make a judgment. So you're like in that moment, you're, you're, you're the judge trying to figure out where they okay, stand. Yeah. Or, or just, or just like what's happening, like what's, what's happening in this interaction or how much of what they're saying is dangerous or but like, like if you're reading a different book, a different thinker, okay, how much of this is really dangerous? How much is this? And you're like trying to just parse things out instead of letting yourself be in front of them and just experience them from what they are. Yeah. You know, what makes this, so non-dual thinking in the context of evangelism. Yeah, that's That's interesting. interesting, right? It is. Because go and make disciples. There's clearly a commission to be a blessing in the world, to, to share the good news of the kingdom of God, to invite others into a relationship with God and to, to our community of faith. And yet, Jesus says, do not judge. Don't make a judgment. So, and I think back to, and there are, by the way, other examples we can get into. It's not just people, right? Like I think about the person, not to go back off this, but the person you had over your house, is that person who's in this kind of crisis mode in their faith, are they they in a good place or a bad place? Yeah. You know, we actually, we we pose that very question to them. Yeah. So so like, are they, so it it can also, it doesn't just have to be people. It can also be circumstances, right? We are always applying this dualism, like, Wait, am I is it, am I good or am I bad? Or am I with God? Or am I not with God? Did I did I pray? Did I not? Am I like what category am I in now? Because categories make life so much easier. Yeah, they make things so much more palatable and 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 understandable. Um, but I want to go back to the people thing. So, but with individuals, 
and evangelism, non-dualism and evangelism. To be honest, Stephen, like I look back on some of my methods, you know, some of my, like uh, there, there's, I love a lot about what, you know, what my tradition and specifically my own spiritual journey, but there's also stuff I look back on. I'm like, I would never do that again. Um, meaning the way in which I interacted with other people or met other people. It's so interesting because when I met someone new, like I think about, I'm thinking about me in college when I would meet someone new on campus that, that I genuinely wanted to interact with and, you know, be friends with potentially and make a connection. I'm also thinking about like their spiritual well-being, right? So I'm immediately thinking, okay, I am a leader of a campus ministry who wants to, not because of any sort of pressure or manipulation from anyone else, but I genuinely want to, you know, help this person if they need it. But there was, but once I was under the impression from either someone else or my own judgments that this person was not a Christian or not, a, or at least not a Christian, according to my, my definition of one, um, I immediately, like my mind was going on like, okay, so how can we move this person from this camp to this one? But it's a, it, it's a, it's a paradox, right? Because we want to be persuasive. Like we want to invite other, be honest about light, you know, sin and darkness and challenge and the world. And like, we want to integrate people and bring people into the faith and into the church. And yet I, I look back on a lot of my behavior and there was a lot of, there was like manipulation at times. There was absolutely conditionality on friendship and acceptance. Um, how do we, how do you navigate that? And like, even for people now that are living in that world, we're not in a thriving campus ministry right now. Like we're in, we have families and like a bit yeah. slower pace of life, a different pace of life. Um, that's a, that can be challenging. It, it is. Well, and, and, and to clarify, uh, you know, I suspect that those, those patterns of thinking and things that you, that were, that you were engaged in, nobody was telling you to do that. Right. No, like, no one sat me down. Like, no, here's the scheme. So you go you talk to, to this person. Yeah, yeah. You ask them this question and then ask them that, and then you'll know they're really not a Christian and that no, like no one was walking me through how to do this, but there were some presumptions. Like yeah. for me, I walked into, he, here's the reality. I walked into a room or a classroom with a very simple assumption. I possessed a, an answer, a, a God, a, an experience, something that I was pretty sure no one else in this classroom had. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say that I knew authoritatively that there were no other Christians, let's say, in, in my classroom, but or, or in a restaurant or in line for something at school. But like, I started with, these people are out, I'm in. Like 100%. That's just what it was. Mm-hmm. Like, these people are out, I am in. And when you start there... Yeah. For a first conversation, you, th- that immediately puts a distance at, uh, 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 that immediately puts a distance between you and that person. And then we would say, and we wondered why we felt, I say we, because I mean, like these are, were me and my people in my ministry that we were like good friends together. Like I'm not labeling an old group or thinking yeah. those people are bad. I'm saying we, like my friend group and myself were trying to um, we're genuinely under the impression that we possess something that no one else possessed. And so when we would talk about, well, we're reaching out to these people and they feel like they're projects or that some of them are, are making comments about how they feel like we're not interested in friendship. We're just interested in converting them. And part of us was like, wait, well, we got to no, that's not true. Like we, we do want to be friends. Like we do want to integrate and be mm-hmm. genuine. Like we're not just trying to baptize people for fun, like to, to boost our morale and numbers. Like we genuinely want to move people. Um, but now that I look back, I think a lot of the challenge was we wanted to have our cake and eat it too. Like we, we were making the judgment, which kept us at arm's length from people. Um, and yet wanting to, you know, pretend that there wasn't a barrier that we put up before the conversation even started. Yeah. It's a, the, the, the tension. I mean, I guess you could use the word balance, but I, I, I'm hesitant to even use that one. I think it's more just to, cause it, the, the, that tension, I mean, you know, there is a, I mean, even in that verse where he just says, do not judge for the next part he says is for with the measure that you, that you use, like for the, with the judgment that you make, like, so he's, it's implying that there was, that there will still be judgments. Right. So right. It's so, there is still judgments that have to be made. There are still decisions and, 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 you know, they have to be made. It's more just your posture, the way in which the assumptions you come to the table with, the way in which you approach somebody else. Um, 
that I think makes a difference. So I'm going to read this. So this chapter from the naked now, I'm not going to read the chapter. Um, but in chapter seven, it's literally called, but we have to make judgments, don't we? (laughs) Right. So that's always the question because it's like, we, yes, I I don't want to be judgmental, but I can feel in my soul, like, but wait, I kind of do have to make a call on this, right? Like, I, yeah. I, I, I'm not going to just shut up and not make a comment if I feel like someone's way off it, right? So let me, right. let me read this selection. Uh, this is from Richard Rohr's The Naked Now. Um, at conferences, so he's a public speaker. At conferences, people will often say to me, quote, but we have to make judgments, we can't just walk around all day saying it's all good. Sometimes you have to draw a line, end quote. Of course they are right. But the Mm. great teachers aren't asking us to turn off our common sense or our rational minds. They're pointing to something deeper. So we need to discover that the, what the heart of this teaching is. The great teachers are saying you cannot start seeing or understanding anything. If you start with no, you have to start with a yes of basic acceptance, which means not too quickly labeling, analyzing, or categorizing things as in or out, good or bad. You have to leave the field open. The ego seems to strengthen itself by constriction, by being against something, or by reaction, and it feels loss or fear when it opens up. Spiritual Mm. teachers want you to live by positive action, open field, and conscious understanding, not by resistance, knee-jerk reactions, or defensiveness. This is not easy. It often takes a lifetime of work and honest self-observation to stop judging and starting with no. Wow. Wow. That is awesome. So let's talk about this starting with yes. How does Stephen? Where do you see this? Where do you see this applying? So when we talk, so so what he's saying, what how I sum that up is, we absolutely do need to make judgments, right? But you can't start there. Like it, yeah. in other words, that every of course you have to use common sense. You use rationality, right? As parents, we don't mm-hmm. for our kids. Like when my my son is asking me questions, either about right or wrong, or just whether or not to do certain actions. Like I don't plan on like just kind of being silent because I don't want to be judgmental of his journey. Like I I plan yeah. on getting involved, and at the same time, there is a certain what Richard is saying is you have to start the language he uses starting with yes, starting with the acceptance first if you're to truly experience this person or, or this event or this thing, or to truly experience God, where do yeah. you see this playing out for us and, and for you specifically or in, in our community? Man, I think, um, I, I, I think one, one way that it plays out, um, in the church, uh, is in, well, frankly, I think it's in the, in the divide that exists generationally. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of like the 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 I don't know I'm just going to arbitrarily pick a number like the 60 or so and up 50s and up and like the you know 30 and and below crowd sure um, and 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 what I mean by this is that I you know there's there there are inherent kind of cultural differences and and you know this is going to be we're just, just going to you know paint with a broad brush here mm-hmm. um, but what one thing that I one sort of cycle that I see happening a lot is like younger people just get discontent with like how things are, whatever it is. So I don't like the, we sing too many old songs. We need, you know, we need lasers. That's what we need. <laughs> and, and the we need spirit, fog machines now, Yeah, the spirit moves better through fog. So we need, <laughs> we need, we need those fog, those fog machines. Uh, and then the older crowd, uh, you know, is hesitant and doesn't want to do that. And, and so there's, but what ends up happening though, is then like, the younger folks, I guess we, you know, they just get kind of attached to like whatever they want, whatever their preference is. Uh, and then we start labeling, okay, well, you know, this, this, this is you know, the status quo. What's happening right now is bad. This music is bad. I don't like, this is all out of touch. And they don't listen so, to us. They're not open-minded. Right. Yeah. And then the young people and the older crowd will, will look at the younger crowd and they'll say, well, you know, there's just no respect for authority. There's no valuing of the tradition. You know, they're just not, you know, and, and, and all the while, like both sides are kind of missing one another hmm. um, because, because we're missing out on what actually happens when we're, when we're like in, in relationship with one another um, and, and, and coming to each other in order to be influenced by the other, um, not to yes. kind of categorize and discern what can be kept and what can't. Um, 
more just to, to show up. I mean, I, you know, to kind of use, I guess, a Bible verse, you know, to, 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 to be quicker to listen and slower to speak. That's what we, um, that's what I see this kind of non-dual thinking helping us do is when you're in these situations with somebody whom you, you disagree with completely, maybe it's on, you know, the, the fog machine debate, or maybe it's whatever it is. Uh, and, that's and, a heated debate right now. Oh yeah. It's, it's bad. Uh, so you've got, you've got people, you know, labeled in certain camps, but what you'll find is if you actually sit and have conversation with these people, they don't fit in that box. Like no it's one very, fit, no one fits no, in a box. They don't, they don't at all. Uh, and, and so it's very likely that you, if you, if you, you know, if you have a hard time seeing yourself in them, it's because you haven't spent enough time with them. You haven't actually asked them enough questions. You haven't approached them openly and honestly enough to go, wow. Okay. There's, there's, I felt like that too. I really see a lot here. There, and, and, you know, if, if you can't see the good there, I mean, you're just not, you're too stuck in your own argument to, to move anything forward. That's so interesting. This idea, and I, I found it to be true as well. The group think and sort of the labeling we do. And the, when I say group think our propensity towards going along with whatever we think of the status quo of our given group. But when you sit down with someone as an individual, like even in my experience, the person from the pulpit that maybe is rubbing me the wrong way or that I don't necessarily see eye to eye with in how they're expressing a given sermon or a, or a retreat or some mm-hmm. sort of leadership all of a sudden we're getting coffee and I'm like, wait a minute. Like we're kind of on the same page here. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, you're wow, supposed like, to be that guy that I can't stand. And you're exactly. supposed to be this. And that. And, yeah. You're supposed to be this old school, close minded. Like you're supposed to hate <laughs> people like me. And then it's like, wait a minute. No, we're actually, but, but it, I think it works. It works on both sides of the generational argument, but I think yeah. also it, um, I think there is also like on a, on kind of the prophetic critique side of that, I think we all have to have a sort of willingness to say yes. we can't just settle into the categories. Like we we right. can't we have because look, here's the thing. It is really hard to lead a church um and and bring the mystery and the non-dual thinking and the 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 sort of the, the lack of perfect clarity to the forefront that is really hard right because you can't get people rallied around non-dual thinking by the way right. this is exactly what richard would say he says why does jesus say it's a narrow path because this is very difficult and you don't yes. have the masses doing this right have you re- have you seen beck's have you, have you read beck's thing on how like the, the aerosoling effect of liberalism no but please just say it what is so that? basically Richard what, beck. what happens is yeah so going with these uh non-dual thinking and you kind of you know you open yourself up to these different ways of thinking what can end up happening is then that basically everybody just gets individualized and dispersed yes. because now you have you know all yeah you know, if it taken to the extreme yeah it's like you know you lose tribalism. Now you have no tribe and now you're just a wandering, you know, vagrant. Yes. No, that's a great point. And and I feel like we have to be like, that's, it's, it is very challenging. Yeah. You can't, it's hard to rally people around. It's hard to, it's easy. Let's say the flip side, it's easy to label, to, to pull together people around dualistic thinking, right? Mm. Hey guys, these people are not, this is in church or political or any organization. And yeah. by the way, oh wait, let me go back to the quote. Oh man, I shut the book. Um, what he said was, you know, it's, it's easy. The paraphrase is it's so easy to rally people around what we're not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Come over here. All the people that are not that, you know, the non Trump supporters, right? Like we should all hang out over here. Everyone who's upset with, with the president or the, you know, the GOP or the flip side, like everyone who is against, you know, everyone who has a problem with this, you know, postmodern liberalism, blah, blah, blah. It's easy to get people all worked up. But again, when you take us out of the group and you're having then the individual conversations, right? This is why yeah. I like the podcast thing because I don't have to preach on a Sunday and like everyone looks around and wonders whether or not this is like heresy. People can actually just tune in a lo- solo, right? And yeah. and there's actually you can actually do do some thinking and interacting with the content. I think we have to be willing to do the hard work of of bringing in the 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 mystery the uncertainty the challenge and sort of sometimes the ambiguity that comes with non-dual thinking to to an that you would bring to an individual conversation within the larger organization i think yeah. we have to be okay with and i mean in a big church or or just in a small like a, like a house church or a com- small community of faith there has to be a willingness to let the guard down this is what richard's saying like to 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 suspend the judgment 
and experience a person or an idea or a thing as it actually is. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh man, no, I'm, 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 I'm envisioning this in the church and I'm. Well, the, the other thing is he says this, oftentimes what we get upset about, what we end up judging is the idea of something instead of the thing itself. Yeah. So like the person, right? Like, should we allow this kind of person in our community of faith or should we allow this, uh, you know, should we go and, and, and accept this author as a, you know, whatever it might be. Oftentimes what we end up, what we label and like do business with is the concept, the idea of something or the idea of a person. Yeah. Like a great example is, is like the immigrant, right? Without having to take, I'm not going to take a, a stance on, you know, policy and immigration, but it's a good example. The, the immigration debate is is and someone's ideas on where this country should stand on immigration is very different than a conversation with an immigrant. It like you can find mm-hmm. someone on very stark side of that argument, but when you put, when there's a conversation with an immigrant, it might look a little different, right? Or yeah. you know, or or the, or anything else. That's the first thing that came to mind. But are we are we getting worked up and competing with uh, and and you know, fighting over and making judgment over the concept of something or someone, or are we willing to suspend that long enough to actually experience the thing or the person itself, including God? That's well, and that's, that's the, to me, that that's the big kicker. When I think about when you're staying right there with including God, it it's, it's really uncomfortable. I mean, cause like if, okay, if we're going to grant that, you know, people just don't fit in boxes, how much more, you know, does God not fit in a box? Right. And, and so, you know, but it's, it's challenging though. Cause then, you know, it, as a church, if we're doing our job, we're, we're going to provide people a structure for coming to know who God is. What, okay. What there, there is a creator, there is a, uh, you know, he, he loves the world. There's a, there's a plan to kind of put all things together and make right. things new. And, and, but if we're doing our job at some point, what we, that structure that we've given them, should begin to wobble mm. because if, if we've actually introduced them to God, if we're actually introducing them to this God who won't fit in a box and that yeah. God won't fit into the structure that we provided them with either. And so I, I think it's kind of a, I mean, with going back to the conversation we had earlier about the person who's in our house, I, I had encouraged him. I said, you know, this is, I know not to be insensitive, but this is actually kind of exciting. Yeah. Because what's happening is the the box that you've built and that, that, that you've gotten a lot of good out of uh-huh. uh, is starting to wobble. And it's wobbling because God is getting ready. He, he's ready to break out of it. He's mm-hmm. ready to get out of it. He's ready. And, and, and this, it's uncomfortable, but it's okay. And, and, and you're not the only one there's, 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 you know, countless people before you and there'll be countless people after you and they've all written books and what, and there's tons of stuff out there for people that have been on t- journeys like that. But what makes it so uncomfortable, though, is is you know we get we get attached to that to that to that structure that we give people to that box that we think God fits in, and you know eventually it's going to teeter because he doesn't live there. He's not constrained. Right. That is powerful. I'm thinking about all this stuff in the Gospels. I'm thinking about Jesus's comments about the temple. I'm thinking about the right the Gentiles. Go ahead. Yeah, it's like you need it. You need that structure. You, you need the need temple. It. You, you, yes. need, you need it. Yes. So it's that, not that those things are bad. It's not like, oh, I get it. So I was dumb before. Here's and what it now, yes. You yes. Know, oh, I was so, such an idiot. You, and now you I needed get it. those things. You needed those things. Those things are all good. You 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 keep them with you and then and you move along. Um yes. as, as as God kind of takes you into different places. And that and, and it's all it's okay. And the language what Richard would say is here you go. I found it. Binary thinking is not wrong or bad in itself. In fact, it's necessary in many, if not most, situations, but it's completely inadequate for the major questions and dilemmas of life. Yeah. It's, it's not that we don't do it or that it, but it's not adequate for the full experience. I want to throw out, we're going to wrap, I want to throw out just a couple of things straight from Jesus and from the Gospels, from the Bible um, I talked about the incarnation, the non-duality in Jesus, fully man, fully God. Another another thing Jesus said, I and the I and the Father are one. Right? He's a man on earth, but he says he is he is oneness with God. Jesus utilizing parables, 
talking about, you know, his divinity, but not really. I mean, hiding, you know, even telling people specifically throughout the gospel of Mark, don't go and tell anybody what I just did. He kind of is, there's this sort of mystery in and about what he's doing. He doesn't make it perfectly clear. He uses this language, the kingdom of God is like this. It's like pearl that's found. It's like a treasure in a field. It's like a net. It's like mm-hmm. a, you know, it's like a farmer who does this and he reaps this when he, though he doesn't work for himself. I mean, there, to your point about God not fitting in this container, right? Jesus is sort of pushing that out. Even he uses Aramaic instead of Greek, you know, an infinitely more complex and un, kind of, you know, ambiguous language. And of course, I don't speak Aramaic. This is what I've read. Then Greek, which is very formulaic and very clear. Um, After his whole ministry is like said and done, he has something like, you know, a hundred plus people to show for his great ministry, right? Like this guy was the son of God, but he couldn't rally more than 120 people. We can bring more than 120 people to a Sunday service. Like it's like, and yet he, he's constantly He's, he's wobbling the structure, right? He's willing to push into that a bit. Um, John 3, the spirit blows, right, like wind, and you don't know where exactly it's going, where exactly it's coming from. Um, Jesus says in John 4, you know, with the woman at the well, she says, where, where are we going to worship? Is it, you know, is it this mountain or this mountain? He says, it's not that mountain, and, it, and it's not that mountain. In fact, it could be both mountains, because my true worshipers will worship me in spirit and truth. Our desire to to be here or there, in or out, the right side, the wrong side, the binary thinking. Again, necessary to a point, not adequate, and not the best place to start. Um, right, but exactly. if we can start with the non-dual thinking, uh, I think you have infinitely more space. And we would invite other people to bring non-dual thinking as best as we can, because we're doing the best we can to have these conversations non-dually, at least starting there, right? Yeah. And inviting other people to do the same thing. So yeah. that's a good little wrap. Love it. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. Maybe we'll do a part two of this. Maybe we'll move on to something new for episode four. But again, appreciate you tuning in. Feel free to leave comments uh, or or stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks. Bye-bye.